0: Well, good morning, church. If you would, this morning, turn with me and uh, your copy of God's Word to 2 Timothy chapter 3. And as you're turning there, I see the kids already lining up for Calvary Kids. And so if if you are headed to Calvary Kids, this is your time to uh, meet here and head out for that. Uh, But 2 Timothy chapter 3. And we're going to look, uh, beginning in verse 16 this morning, uh, and we will continue all the way through verse 5 of chapter 4. And so I trust that you have found your way uh, to 2 Timothy chapter 3. If you would, uh, read along with me beginning in uh, verse 16. It says all scripture is breathed out by God and profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, for training in righteousness, that the man of God may be competent, equipped for every good work. I charge you in the presence of God and of Christ Jesus, who is to judge the living and the dead, and by his appearing in his kingdom, preach the word. endure suffering, do the work of an evangelist, fulfill your ministry. Let's pray. Father, we come before you in these moments, and we ask desperately for your help. As we come under your word to sit under it this morning, that as we just sang that you would speak and that we would be changed by the power of your word before us and your spirit within us. Lord, I pray that you would remove distractions from this place, that our thoughts and our minds would not be on what is to follow this service, but we would simply sit under your inerrant perfect word this morning, and that you would teach us from it as you have promised that you will. And so we rest in that promise, that your word goes forth and it does not return void. Lord, I pray that you would guard us from error this morning. And I pray that the words of my mouth and the meditation of our hearts would be pleasing and acceptable in this place. And it's in your son's name we pray. Amen. When William Travis and... Some 200 of his men found themselves surrounded by 1,800 of Santa Ana's best soldiers. It did not look like a very good situation for them. And so the legend is that William Travis took his saber and drew a line in the sand and told the men they were free to leave or they could join him on the other side of the line and stay in the fight with him. And the legend says that there was not a single man standing on the other side of the line from Travis, and we know how the story goes. All of those men gave their lives at the Alamo, and this would become the battle cry of the Texas Revolution, remember the Alamo. Uh, William Travis and his men found themselves at war in their day, and this morning, we as the church, too, find ourselves at war. It is not a war against physical earthly powers, but it is a war against spiritual principalities of darkness. It is a war for the hearts and minds of our children. It is a war for our homes, for Christ church. It is a war for our affections, our attitudes, and our allegiances. And this morning, Paul draws a line in the sand. And on one side of the line, we find the culture And we find its theories and its agendas and its philosophies. We find false teaching and bad doctrine. We find sin and rebellion and the ways of man and the world. And on the other side of the line, we find the holy, inspired, perfect word of the living God. And this morning, we must choose which side we will stand on. We cannot have one foot on one side of the line and the other foot on the other. We cannot serve both God uh, and man. We must choose this morning. Because we find in the text that we just read together that the word of God is authoritative and sufficient for all of life and godliness. Now, this book, 2 Timothy, that we just read from uh, was originally a letter, as you well know, that Paul wrote to his young protege, Timothy. Timothy. Uh, We know this is one of the pastoral epistles because the primary content of this letter uh, has to do with pastoral ministry. Uh, There's some debate as to whether or not Timothy was a missionary or a pastor. I think it's very clear from this letter uh, that Timothy was serving in some sort of pastoral role. And when we come to these verses that we just read this morning, at least when I do, every time I read through the book of 2 Timothy, I feel um, that these verses need to be preached together, uh, which is why we find ourselves here this morning. Uh, obviously, in your copy of God's Word in mine, there's uh, a chapter break, chapter 4, which would not have been in the original text. Uh, and in my copy of God's Word, there's a subtitle of Preach the Word before verse 1. Uh, And then earlier in chapter 3, verse 10, a, a subtitle of all scripture is breathed out by God. Regardless of how we break down this letter, I think it is fitting that we sit under these verses this morning. And here's why. Verses 16 and 17 are a theological statement on what the Word of God is. This is probably the most helpful um, theological doctrinal statement on the Word of God in all of Scripture. And then the first five verses of chapter 4 apply the truth to our lives. Here is the Word of God. What then do we do with it? And so we begin this morning in verses 16 and 17 where we see... That scripture is God breathed. What does that mean? Well, let's look again at verse 16 at the very beginning there. It says, All scripture is breathed out by God. Scripture in its entirety, from Genesis to Revelation, is God breathed. Uh, My version of scripture says, is breathed out by God. Those five words in the English are actually one word in the original Greek. It's a compound word made up of the word for God and spirit. And so we could literally translate this word as God-breathed or God-inspired. The words of Scripture come from God himself. They are his words. What Paul is communicating here is not that God breathed into the text. That's not what we see here. Uh, It's not that the writers wrote down some really helpful stuff and then God came along later and kind of gave it a boost of motivational charge. That's not what we see here. These are the very words of God. Listen, God has spoken this morning, and he has spoken once and for all in his word. The Bible is God's speech. It is his word. Now, when we consider how the Bible is written, we also affirm that the Bible is written by fallible, fallen men. Uh, In the Westminster Shorter Catechism, the question is asked, who wrote the Bible? And the answer to the question is, men who were taught by the Holy Spirit. So we affirm that God in his sovereignty chose to use men to bring his message, his word, to us. And so we see the personalities of these men. The writing of Paul and Peter and John are very unique uh, based on the personalities. Uh, We see different perspectives in the writing the gospels matthew mark luke and john four men writing about similar events from different perspectives but hear this in all of that god is inspiring these men to write exactly what he intended for us to have this very morning this is god's word and so because it is breathed out by god that means the word of god carries with it the character of god god does not change he is perfect and trustworthy He is without contradiction in and of himself. So therefore, Scripture does not change. It is perfect, trustworthy, without contradiction. It also carries with it the authority of God. God, as the creator of the universe, has all authority, and his word carries with it that very authority. And so it's so important for us to stop on a regular basis, and I would say even daily, And consider the reality that the creator of the universe has revealed himself to us. He is not a distant God that we have to go off and search for. He has come near to us and he's made it clear who he is with words in a book. That is profound. He has not left us to figure things out on our own. It is his very word from cover to cover. Now, because of this, Paul says that it is profitable. It is beneficial. You'll notice there in the text. What is it beneficial for? Well, it's beneficial for teaching. The word of God instructs us in how we are to live. It's beneficial for reproof. It gives evidence of sin in our lives and and corrects the old man to make us more like Christ. That's the third thing it's profitable for, correction, correction restoration in this life of sanctification. And then finally, it's profitable for training in righteousness. It trains us up in how we are to live before a holy God as the people of God. And he concludes there by saying that the man of God may be competent and equipped for every good work. All that we need to be qualified and furnished, equipped for the Christian life, we have in the pages of scripture alone. And so in the context of this letter, Paul is writing to one man 2,000 years ago, a man by the name of Timothy. But we affirm this morning that scripture is profitable for the life of every believer throughout all generations. And so the words that Paul wrote to Timothy 2,000 years ago are just as relevant for each and every one of us who are gathered in this place this morning. So how do we handle the word of God? What do we do with the word of God? Well, first of all, we must take all of scripture as God's perfect word. We do not have the privilege of picking and choosing what verses we affirm based on our own agendas and our own preferences and our own thoughts. So the words of Paul, the words of Matthew, the words of Moses, the words of Isaiah and Jeremiah, it is all just as authoritative and sufficient as the words of Christ. In my copy of God's Word, and and potentially in yours as well, when Jesus speaks, the the translators decided to uh, put those words in red, the red letters of the Bible. And there are people today who will say the red letters of the Bible are more authoritative than the black letters, this is not what we find in the text this morning. The words of Paul and the words of Moses are just as authoritative as the words of Christ because they are Christ's words. Christ has spoken. Genesis to Revelation. Secondly, we must submit our thoughts and our attitudes to Scripture alone. We cannot force Scripture to submit to our thoughts, and our attitudes. That's backwards. We must submit ourselves to the word of God alone. Thirdly, we look to God's word alone for everything pertaining to life and godliness. We don't have to go to the latest, greatest self-help trends in American evangelicalism to figure this thing out. We don't have to go to the top ten bookshelf in the Christian bookstore. New methods and strategies to figure out how to live the Christian life. All that we need is found in these pages alone. Now that does not mean there's not a season that we go to books and read as supplements, but the scriptures, the word of God has the final say. And finally... When issues arise in our day, and they most certainly will, issues that come and go and their importance based on the culture, whether it's issues in regards to race or justice or immigration, whatever the issues of our day are, we do not have to appeal to the culture to figure out how we address the world around us. We don't have to talk in the culture's terms or submit to the culture's grammar on the issues. The word of God has spoken. We talk Bible. We submit to Scripture's terms. And so let me suggest this morning, if we are not doing these things, we might say that we believe in the authority and sufficiency of Scripture, but potentially we actually do not Do we truly believe that these words are the words of God? And if we do, they are perfectly authoritative and sufficient for this life. So we submit our lives completely to it and it alone. So Paul gives us this theological statement in verses 16 and 17, and he follows it with the application of verses one through five in chapter four, where we see that we are to faithfully preach the word, Now, spoiler alert, verse 2, the primary thrust of these five verses is found there, preach the word. We will get there in a moment. The context is of the preaching of the word. But we cannot overlook verse 1 because this is so important. Notice the emphatic charge that Paul wants Timothy to consider in light of the preaching ministry. Look again at what he said in verse 1. I charge you in the presence of God and of Christ Jesus who is to judge the living and the dead and by his appearing and his kingdom. Paul wants Timothy to stop and consider every time before he stands before the word of God that he is doing so before the living God. He is doing so before a risen savior who is king of kings and Lord of lords. The preaching of the word is not something to be taken lightly. And it grieves me in our day to see the lackadaisical, careless way in which American evangelical preachers approach the preaching of the word of God. Trying as hard as they can to get a laugh using gimmicks and soundbite theology, trying to be trendy and relevant and entertain, oftentimes not even opening up the pages of Scripture. And sometimes when they do, they simply use it to make their own point. In our day, we see preachers buying and selling sermon outlines online. No longer does the preacher have to... uh, Uh, diligently seek the word of God during the week or wrestle with the text or pray over the text, he can simply buy his sermon outline offline and move on to things that he deems more important for himself. Listen, when the preacher steps down from the pulpit, the thing that should terrify him most is not what the masses have to say. The thing that should terrify him most is that he has preached before the living God. And this should draw the man of God to his knees week in and week out and begging the Lord for mercy over his preaching ministry. Begging the Lord to help him as he prepares diligently over the text. And so this charge then is followed by the primary command. Now, there are nine imperatives, nine commands that we find in verses two through five. That's a lot of commands to cram into a few verses. But the primary command here is keruso logos, preach the word. That word preach means to herald or proclaim. I like to see this as speak the Bible. It is the task of the preacher to open the word of God and proclaim what scripture says as God intended it. Not presenting his own ideas and using the Bible as a gimmick to satisfy his own opinions. He's simply to stand before the word and proclaim it, to herald it. And this flows directly from what we saw in verse 16. All scripture is breathed out by God. It is his word. God has spoken. So if verses 16 and 17, we could just simply say, what, what, how could we sum those two verses up? We would say, God has spoken. How could we sum up then verses 1 through 5? I would say this, let him speak. Why would I offer you anything else this morning but this? In fact, I I have nothing to offer you this morning. My opinions on, on parenting strategies and how to have a good relationship with your spouse, whether you should homeschool or public school, none of those things matter when it comes to eternity. I could tell you my thoughts about so many things, but it has no value for you. All I have to offer you this morning is the word of God. And so Paul says to Timothy, preach the word. And so out of this primary command, we then see the the following eight commands. You see it there in the text. First, uh, he says, be ready in season and out. Uh, Paul says to Timothy, regardless of the response of the listener, Timothy, be faithful to the task the next three commands reprove rebuke and exhort in the preaching of the word there is most definitely a time for correction and what's so fascinating about this is he's already told us back in verse 16 that scripture does this on its own look back at verse 16 it's what it's profitable for the very things he commands the preacher to do for teaching for reproof for correction and training in righteousness so when you sit under the word of god just on a daily basis in your own personal time in the word of God, the word of God is going to correct you. And so listen, if the preacher is faithful to the text, sometimes you are going to get your toes stepped on and that is good and that is right. If all your pastor ever tells you is how awesome you are, there's a good chance he's simply tickling your ears. Now, that is in no way to say that all the preacher does is beat the listener over the head with the law. We preach the law. We preach the gospel. We preach them both. We preach law and gospel. There is a time for reassurance and encouragement in the life of the believer for sure. Look no further than the letters of Paul. At the beginning of all of Paul's letters, you sense his love for the church. And what does he do? He reassures them and encourages them. There is a season and a time for that in preaching. But listen, the goal of preaching is for the listener to become more like Jesus. And correction and rebuke and exhortation are essential to our sanctification. It's essential to us becoming more like Jesus each and every day now Paul stops for a moment in the midst of these commands and he tells us the approach to preaching and the context or the setting to preaching notice first the approach to preaching in verse 2 he says to do it with patience this word means perseverance Timothy, be faithful to the task. Don't lose sight of the task, Timothy. He says to do it with teaching. This word means instruction. A lot of people think that expository preaching is intentionally meant to be boring. That the preacher just goes verse by verse, word by word, and spews out theology to a bored audience. And if you leave the church and you're not bored to tears, the preacher hasn't done his job. That's not what expository preaching is. Good expository preaching applies God's word to the life of the people. But notice in the context, the setting in which preaching is done. Look at verse 3 and 4 again. This is who Timothy is going to preach to. Verse 3, For the time is coming when people will not endure sound teaching, but having itching ears they will accumulate for themselves teachers to suit their own passions and will turn away from listening to the truth and wander off into myths. If we consider what Paul already said to Timothy in chapter 3, verse 1, this makes sense. Go back to chapter 3, verse 1 of 2 Timothy. Listen to this. Paul said, but understand this, that in the last days there will come times of difficulty, for people will be lovers of self, lovers of money, proud, arrogant, abusive, disobedient to their parents, ungrateful, unholy, heartless, unappeasable, slanderous, without self-control, brutal, not loving good, treacherous, reckless, swollen with conceit, lovers of pleasure rather than lovers of God, having the appearance of godliness, but denying its power. Now, Paul writes this in the future tense. He says, there is a time that is coming. They will turn away. That in the last days, there will come times. Make no mistake about it, though, this morning. This time is is now. We live in the time where people are lovers of self and they accumulate for themselves teachers that simply tell them how awesome they are. That is the day we live in. That's the context in which the preacher preaches. But this should come as no surprise to us in the New Testament because this has been the the reality for the preacher throughout history. In Isaiah, Isaiah told the people, you will indeed hear but never understand and you will indeed see but never perceive. I will proclaim the glorious message that the creator of the universe has for you and you will not understand. You never will. In Jeremiah, Jeremiah was told, behold, the word of the Lord is to them an object of scorn. They take no pleasure in it. Jeremiah was told to go and preach the word knowing full well that not a single person would listen to him. That's a great job description to put on a church job hunt for the new pastor. Come preach at our church and nobody's going to listen to you. But that is the setting in which the pastor preaches. And then in Ezekiel, it says, And you shall speak my words to them, whether they hear or refuse to hear, for they are a rebellious house. The temptation for the preacher is to appeal to the masses instead of submitting to Scripture. We conclude with the final four commands here. He continues with be sober-minded, be level-headed, to not be tossed to and fro by the waves and carried about by every wind of doctrine. As Paul told him in verse 14 of chapter 3, continue in what you have learned. Continue in the gospel, Timothy. We never graduate from the gospel, never. This reality that God became a man, he came near to us and lived a sinless life and died on a cross in our place, taking on the wrath of God which we deserve so that in faith we might receive what we do not deserve, the righteousness of God. And as we just sung about, he rose victorious over sin and death and he ascended into heaven. He sits now at the right hand of the Father and one day he will come back for his bride. This glorious truth is what we proclaim He says to endure suffering, to suffer evil, endure hardship. Earlier in chapter two, verse three, he told Timothy, share in suffering as a good soldier of Jesus Christ. Persecution is inevitable. Listen, is inevitable for those who stand firm on the word of God. And this is more true today for the American church than it has ever been in all of her history. If we stand firm on the word of God, we can expect persecution to come. Thirdly, he says, do the work of an evangelist. This word evangelist is one who announces the gospel. I love that. Is Is an announcer of the good news of Jesus Christ. The gospel is essential to the preaching of the word of God. If our preaching is void of the gospel, it is for nothing. If a sermon could be preached in a Muslim mosque or a Mormon tabernacle and be heralded and amen it is not the preaching of the word. Finally, he says, fulfill your ministry, Timothy. Complete the work that God has called you to. And so as we look at these five verses and we consider the charge in verse 1 and the commands of verses 2 through 5 and the preaching approach and the setting of preaching, there's two things that we see here. First is the priority of the preaching of the word of God in the life of the church. This time when the body of Christ gathers together week in and week out is the most important time in the life of the church. One theologian said the pulpit is the rudder that steers the church. Now that is in no way to minimize the importance or significance of the other things that we do in the life of the church, but preaching is the priority. But we also sense here, and don't miss this, Paul's genuine desire for Timothy to stay the course to be faithful to the task, to not lose heart and not become entangled in civilian pursuits. Preach the word, Timothy. In Shakespeare's plays on King Henry V, he introduces a fictional character by the name of John Falstaff. and I am no expert on Shakespearean writing, uh, but recently, there was a movie released about King Henry V, and they portray this fictional character, uh, John Falstaff, in this, in this movie. Uh, and King Henry V is a young king, and he finds himself at war with the French. He's invaded France, uh, and he's leaning on the expertise of John Falstaff as a military veteran, a military expert. And, and King Henry is finding great success as he moves across uh, France, Because he's staying the course he's trusting in the uh, confidence that he has in john falstaff as this military expert but there comes a point where the french start to poke and prod henry v and annoy him and in a moment of weakness he's about to do something where he loses sight of the task just so he can get his own personal revenge and i want you to listen to what john falstaff says to him in this movie he says too often have i seen men of war Invent work for themselves. Work that leads to nothing but vainglory and slaughtered men. In other words, I have seen men of war get distracted from the task at hand and it leads to dead souls. And I feel as I read that quote and hear that quote that this is an indictment on the American church today. Too often, the pulpit and the preaching ministry has been set aside for tasks invented by men that lead to celebrity pastors and lost and dying souls. And so you might be saying as we come to a close here, how does this apply to me? I am not a pastor. Well, again, if we believe that all of Scripture is profitable for every single believer then we affirm that these five verses, though they were written to a pastor 2,000 years ago, are applicable to each and every one of us in this place this morning. So three things I want us to consider as we close. First, guard your ears, church. Know your Bible. Be a student of the word of God. Know what sound doctrine is, but also know how to identify bad doctrine. Test everything to the scriptures. Watch out for false teachers and wolves. It's very common to look at a, a social media thread and see someone who loves Jesus, Jesus, genuinely loves the Lord, post something from a pastor who's a solid man of God, a faithful preacher of the word. They maybe post a quote or something. But then just minutes later, to post something from someone who is a well-known heretic or false teacher simply because... They're a pastor. They're a Christian. Surely it's good. And the congregation today has lost sight of how to handle the Word of God, what the Reformers fought for in the Reformation, to bring the Word back to the people. Don't rely on the professional church. Know the Word. Be a student of the Word. Guard your ears. Secondly, sit under godly, Christ-exalting, biblical preaching. I'm sure there are visitors here today. Uh, Maybe you're just traveling through and you stopped here uh, today and and you have a home church that you already attend. Maybe you're looking for a church. Uh, Maybe you've been a a member of this church. Uh, you're, You're a charter member here this morning. My charge is the same. Sit under preaching of the word where the gospel is proclaimed where Christ is exalted and where the word of God is rightly divided to the glory of God alone. But finally, the primary application for each and every one of us this morning is the same primary application for Timothy. Preach the word. Not all of us are called to be pastors, but all of us are, in a sense, ministers of the gospel. We are all heralds of the gospel John MacArthur said this. He said, Such a sense of readiness and willingness to serve the Lord at any cost and at any time not only should characterize every faithful preacher but every faithful Christian. So brother and sister in Christ this morning, submit to the authority and sufficiency of Scripture and be a herald of it. Be a herald of the gospel in your home and to your neighbors and to your coworkers. Proclaim Christ and his word in season and out. Fulfill the task that God has called you to. Whatever your profession is, be a herald of the gospel. I am convinced that we are in a day that is in desperate need of reformation. Where we as the church return back to the word of God. A lot of people, when they look back at the Protestant Reformation, they, they think that really what drove the Protestant Reformation was the writings and the protest of the Reformers. But really the driving force beh- behind the, Pro- the Protestant Reformation was a return to the preaching of the Word of God. The preaching of the Word of God week in and week out is what drove the Protestant Reformation. And so I want you to hear the words of one of the reformers, Martin Luther, and his, how he sees the church in his day. And as I read this, I want you to consider this could be said of the church today. Luther said this of the church in his day, God's word has been silenced, and only reading and singing remain in the churches. This is the worst abuse. A host of unchristian fables and lies and legend hymns and sermons were introduced that is horrible to see. A Christian congregation should never gather together without the preaching of God's word and prayer, no matter how briefly. He goes on and says as Psalm 102 says when the kings and the people assemble to serve the Lord they shall declare the name and the praise of God. And Paul in 1 Corinthians says that when they come together there should be prophesying, teaching, and admonition. Therefore when God's word is not preached one had better neither sing nor read or even come together. Steve Lawson, in speaking on these words that Luther wrote, said this, This was the dire state of the church in Luther's day. There was a famine in the land for the hearing of the word. Yet during this dark hour of church history, God raised up extraordinary men to declare the scriptures again. Luther restored the primacy of scripture in the church, a decisive reformation of the pulpit, we are in a desperate need of reformation of the pulpit in our day because there is a famine in our land for the hearing of the word of God. And so my prayer for this church and for churches throughout the world is that we would indeed return to the word of God again anew in our day and that the battle cry in our war would be preach the word let's pray